Welcome to the Digital Workflow Dentistry Podcast Series. We help dentists adapt, adopt, and advance in the world of dental technology. For more information about upcoming lectures, webinars, and podcasts, please go to our website, www.digitalworkflowdentist.com, and Instagram at Digital Workflow Dentistry. They say that eyes are the window to your soul. Let Legend Graphics provide you visually stunning art prints, canvas photo prints, banners, and so much more. Whether it's for your home, team, or business, we can create a design for you virtually. Visit www.legendgrafix.com. Good afternoon, dental internet world. My name is Dr. Vishal Sharma, along with my friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Parchewski, and you're listening to our podcast, Digital Workflow Dentistry. Mike, it's the middle of June. We've been back at the office for about three weeks now. Give us an update as to how things are progressing with the new COVID-19 restrictions and the new norm. So uh, things have been coming along quite well and um, good afternoon, everybody as well. Um, uh, We're sort of ramping up maybe 80%, leaving ourselves in the schedule, a little bit of room between patients. Uh, we do have quite a bit of space, so we've been able to sort of move our seating areas around, making sure we're we're coordinating which rooms patients are going to. So I find there's a lot of logistical challenges uh, to think about and in, in making things progress well, keeping patients in that, you know, uh, distancing. And um, we've added a lot of signage and, and pathways and trying to get patients to, to be able to follow that. And it's worked well, but I, I will say that it has been... Uh, a bit of a learning curve for everybody. So it was helpful that we were able to kind of start slow while downtown has been quiet and just sort of slowly ramp up from there. How about yourself? Yeah, I'd echo the same sentiments, obviously, with hygienists now having the capability of using ultrasonics. Uh, that's made their job a bit more effective and efficient, uh, which has been nice. So we're pretty much operating at normal capacity with the same flow restrictions and appointment elongations that you had discussed. So uh, jumping back to our podcast, what we're going to be doing today is continuing on with a series of questions that we had prior to our last podcast where we went through the first 10 questions and a few other questions that have uh, come up after a webinar that you and I both recorded last week on integrating dental sleep medicine and the treatment of sleep apnea within a dental office. So why don't we jump into the questions, Mike? I'll let you, uh, I'll let you start with your list. So the first question we had uh, from one of our subscribers was why are we using um, SureSmile over Invisalign and what's our thought on the SureSmile process? Well, obviously SureSmile is a product that's been launched by Densply Serona. They had acquired uh, the precursor to that technology from another company and it's a very uh, innovative, intuitive software that has a lot of applications. But when we're comparing those applications simply to Invisalign, there's some things about SureSmile that are fantastic. Number one, you can incorporate uh, CBCT scan technology into that plan. So if you're utilizing a technician and an orthodontist to help facilitate your plan, or if you're doing it on your own, the movements that you're creating can be coordinated with root movement as well. So um, obviously Invisalign does not have that capability. You can upload a pan to Invisalign, no 3D CBCT capabilities. Uh, you have the new Ortho 2.0 software on your uh, Prime Scan, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you bet. So you're well versed with the fact that it can just be seamlessly sent off directly to SureSmile once you've taken a scan, 
And of course, there's the simulation capability right now, uh, which is fantastic for a case presentation. Uh, we scan all of our new patients, as you know, as part of our new patient exam and that intake process, we scan all of our patients with PrimeScan. It's great for digital records and case presentation uh, as well. And so if you have someone who's got a malocclusion, you hit the simulation button and within a short period of time, you are presenting an orthodontic uh, outcome to them as well. So that's one of the reasons or, or a few of the reasons why we like SureSmile. There, obviously, if you're Densplicerona integrated within your office, there's some cost benefits to being with SureSmile as well. Yep. And we have found the product, uh, although there's some distinct differences between the two overall timeframes, outcomes, very, very similar. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to agree with that. One thing I know uh, I get a lot of questions from other dentists about is with the Ortho 2.0, with the Prime Scan, as we, when I'm teaching and talking with dentists about using the Prime Scan as at an actual exam tool, because you can use the Prime Scan actually even as an intraoral camera. Um, and so now the question is, is, well, which software do I use and should I be using um, the, the Ortho or should I be using the Prime Scan software? And so the big thing is, is you can take the, the scan from the Prime Scan and you can put it into Ortho 2.0. So uh, I will take everything with my patients with the Prime Scan. And then if we have a new patient that we can recognize that an anterior alignment would be beneficial, we'll, we'll jump that over into the Ortho 2.0 software for the simulation mm -hmm. capacity. Again, it is something you have to work with your team you, this is uh, not something you're doing when, with a new patient exam in hygiene. This is doing your new patient exams as a separate, separate, you know, uh, an appointment, booking the time so you can have that conversation with the patient and have the time to utilize the technology, I think, think is important. Now, moving on, now, another question that we actually get quite often because zirconia has been so popular in dentistry. But another question that came um, to us, I think this was from um, our one appointment crown discussion, but the question was, is that, um, you know, it was about timing. How long does a zirconia crown take to prepare and center? And the, uh, also there was a question about that, another question about that, that I'm going to merge in here, which was, um, can you do zirconia crowns in one appointment uh, like you can with an Emacs? Well, we'll start with the second aspect on that. And the, the short answer is yes, of course you can. Uh, you just require a sintering oven as opposed to a programmat uh, oven to fire the Emacs. You're going to be sintering the zirconia. Obviously, the uh, milling or grinding of zirconia is a little bit different than it is with other materials. Of course, zirconia shrinks uh, very, very heavily from its milled uh, stage down to uh, its post-centered out of the oven stage. So yeah, absolutely. You certainly can in one visit. Um, some of the benefits of zirconia obviously are strength. And of course, um, with some of the stronger, more traditional zirconias, you know, 1100 megapascals, biaxial fracture resistance, uh, very, very strong, maybe not as aesthetic. Now you move into from a, a four Y zirconia to a 5% uh, yttria uh, katana block, for example, more translucent, uh, obviously reflects better with light, so you have better aesthetics. You lose a little on the strength, but still stronger than Emacs. So probably better suited currently for full coverage restorations right now, Mike, but of course there is a plethora of information right now on zirconia bonding. We touched based on that briefly in one of our previous podcasts, 
And there's a lot of information uh, out there, even on the Dennis Bly Serona uh, or uh, Katana websites, they have that information. So zirconia is fantastic. How long does it take? Well, the short answer to that is with an efficient workflow, you're pushing the envelope on 60 minutes from the time that the patient is seated to the time that they're leaving. So how does that 60 minute workflow, uh, how does that transpire? So the first thing of course is prime scan. With an Omnicam, the scanning is gonna be a little bit slower, not nearly as fast as, as you know, being an avid prime scan user. So that's one aspect. Uh, the new software with Serac is gonna give you uh, auto margination. It's gonna set your model access. It's gonna give you a more effective proposal utilizing artificial intelligence, learning from what your previous uh, desires and designs entail. The big change now, of course, is the prime mill. We can mill out zirconia, give or take in about five minutes. And the sintering time, although they will be progressively coming down, Mike, uh, you know, you're still looking at for a um, stronger zirconia restoration, more traditional ones, uh, you know, 15-ish minutes. And then when you get into the more aesthetic katana ones, it's going to be a longer uh, sintering time. And then the characterization is, you know, really only a minute or two minutes once you get pr proficient at it. So from the time that you're prepping, uh, obviously faster scanning and design, faster mill, uh, similar sintering time. Uh, really efficient practitioners are able to do that in 60 minutes. Uh, I'm not that fast, so we book a little bit more time. I know you practice the same way, but it's pretty impressive we can uh, do that. Uh, anything to add on that, Mike? No, I, I, I'd agree on the, you know, I'll, I'll argue an hour and a half um, for that, uh, is, is that. And we might even, in a case, let's say we're going to do something anterior, you know, plan if we're going to maybe adjust the shade uh, a two-hour visit uh, would not be unreasonable. Yeah, if you're booking an hour, everything's tight. Mm -hmm. And you're not leaving, you're not delegating to your assistant. You know, it's an hour where you're basically there with the exception of leaving, you know, to get a water or a cup of coffee during the meal time uh, or oven time. But uh, 90 minutes is still the workflow that we like, but, but certainly there's practitioners out there who are doing it in just over 60 uh, jumping around a little bit uh, to zirconia-related uh, procedures, but not zirconia-centered uh, procedures. Let's go to implants, Mike. So talk about how you use CERAC to restore implants. Well, our process with the implant workflow is we're using, we're using the CERAC to make our surgical guides, the planning. Now on the restoration side, um, what, are, what we're doing is once we have healing, we're using a uh, scan post that we're going to use that's related to, in our case, we're using mostly an Atlantis abutment mm -hmm. workflow. So we're using an Atlantis uh, scan post, an IO scan post, and that scan post uh, for the implant, for the, you know, we're using the Astra implant system, will give us, basically, we scan it on through the Serac Connect, send that off. Um, within a day, we get a proposal. Um, we can now digitally go in to the proposal um, web um, cloud-based system with Atlantis, you log in, and then you're able to make adjustments to the shape, the clearance, you can do all of that. You can also just say to the technician, you can send back and say, look, uh, I want it, I want more clearance, I want the margin a little bit different, and they can do it for you, mm -hmm. but you can actually do it right there. Then you click accept, uh, any comments you wanna make or changes, you, you send that, and then while they're going ahead to fabricate that, 
um, titanium abutment that's custom for your patient. Um, at the same time, uh, and they can also do that with zirconia. At the same time, what they're doing is they're sending you a core file now for the crown. So we're making the crown while that's being done. Then when it comes, we basically are cementing the crown onto that. Um, if the, you know, depending if it's an Emacs, we might have a request the model, try it on the model. Um, then we go ahead, fire the, fire the crown. We will place a small hole in the, in the top of the crown, only the size that we need a driver to get through, uh, not for the screw itself. So the screw itself will remain inside the abutment, crown gets cemented, and then the hole that we have is just so that we can get a driver to the screw head. And then we'll fire that, cement them together, and then we're good to go. And that has been the workflow that we are sticking with and finding it to be most successful. I do know that with the new prime mill, there is going to be the ability in the future to mill your own abutments. And that will essentially allow you to do this workflow in-house um, very quickly. Now, the other way that is done quite commonly is the tie-based system. And so you'd either have a zirconia or an Emacs block, um, or they even have it with the hybrid composite blocks um, that, that would have the hole uh, pre-drilled through it. The issue with that is the hole is in one plane, it's in one position. And in the, you know, in the bottom of the titanium base is keyweighed fixed into that. The problem is you tend to have quite a sharp emergence profile. Mm. And so in some cases it's great because it's, you know, the, the pattern is going to meet that. But in some cases, especially subgingival um, or subcrestal implants, the tie base does not give you the flexibility of profile that you can do uh, with, with the Atlantis system. So for, again, for us, we're, we're tending to stick more to the Atlantis. I, I don't discount the use of tie base or splitting a file uh, with a tie base file. Um, uh, diligently, it can be done well and in the right scenarios, but you can technically use Atlantis in all the scenarios, which is which is great. So it's a, it is a workflow that I like. So the varied angulation uh, on the Atlantis, or I should say the customized angulation for the Atlantis is why you're gravitating to it more so than you would with a tie base, which is just stock and currently, until we're able to mill them within our office, uh, has no variability with them. Right, very little, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's good. Obviously, it's a, it's a field that is rapidly evolving with many changes, and, and I'll be touching base uh, a little bit further on that when we're discussing the prime mill. So, Mike, last Wednesday, we gave a webinar on sleep, as I alluded to, uh, and one of the questions that came up at the end of that presentation, which was a very good question, was what bite changes do we often see with the sleep appliance? So it's a that's a big question, and so in lieu of time, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go through the the key points. But when when we have a sleep appliance on a patient, the one thing we have to understand is that the more forces that we're putting, so the more we're trying to move their lower jaw, um, the more pressure we're going to put on their teeth. Also, the side effects are going to be more relevant in cases with underlying periodontal issues and you know un, you know maybe missing more teeth mm -hmm. so there's going to be underlying dental problems will have an impact on whether side effects are going to occur um, now if we can control our movement forward which means for example us we use the zephyr system and so we're tr using the matrix system from zephyr to try to find out where the lower jaw should be and often we're finding that to be in the 40 to 50 percent range so less protrusion means less side effects. Now, um, if you're not doing that and you're just titrating, 
I challenge you to just try with your titrations to not be as aggressive. Um, you know, obviously follow up with the symptoms and then follow up with a sleep test to confirm that you have actually treated the sleep apnea and met the goals of the treatment you're working with your sleep physician on. Now, that being said, um, there's going to be the tendency because you're pulling the lower, lower jaw forward for the lower incisors to be getting traction pushed back and the upper teeth are going to be, um, or the lowers flared out a bit and the upper is being pushed back from the appliance mm -hmm. movement. Now, when we had more often using appliances with softer internal liners, the, we would see some teeth getting shift more because the pressure on those teeth is greater. Having used milled ones, such as the OptiSleep or the Prosomnus, um, and I know Somnomed's coming out with a, a milled one as well, the benefit there is you're going to have less you know, moving on, on the teeth. But essentially, when you're trying to pull that lower jaw forward, there is that traction that wants to bring those teeth and you're pushing against the upper jaw, so there's that traction that's wanting to move the teeth the other way. So you're always trying to make a class three movement. And if you have somebody also in a deep bite that's really tight where those lower incisors are jammed in, argumentatively often we can see an open bite occurring in the posterior because we're allowing them to actually essentially come forward to where they're more comfortable. So they're, this, luckily with side effects, they tend to be around 5% of cases. Um, we do go through in, in our, our webinars and we will be going through this in future discussions and interviews, um, talking to people and talking to other dentists about side effects and getting into more details. But generally, um, it's, it's not that often and those are the kinds of things that we see um, happening. You know, and, and one of the things that I've noticed over the years when doing a hard appliance, especially one that circumferentially wraps around the teeth and serves as a de facto retainer, you're going to retain the position of the teeth. So uh, I echo that sentiment. Soft liners, definitively, we would see some movement, uh, a lot of flaring out of those uh, lower incisors for sure. Um, but with the hard acrylic ones or the milled ones, as you mentioned, because they serve as a retainer, you don't see a lot of tooth migration or, or uh, intraproximal spaces opening up. So yeah, um, yeah certainly uh, more information on that uh, for some of our uh, listeners and those who are interested in some upcoming uh, informational sessions that we have on sleep. Uh, yes, and so another question that came in was, um, and maybe I'll get you to touch base on this one, is how challenging is it to stain a Syrac crown? Well, it's not very challenging for me at all because I don't do it. In fact, we've delegated that entirely to our assistants and it's actually fairly simplistic. So, you know, obviously you take some courses, hands-on courses, there's gonna be a staining and glazing component to that. So you can learn it maybe online, but it's certainly helpful to have a hands-on component to it. Whether it's the Ivaclar rep or your Densply Serona rep, even coming in for a lunch and learn and showing your team um, how to stain and glaze. The best way to start, of course, Mike, as you know, is start in the posterior. Characterize those, even if you're typically not gonna stain a, a upper second molar, one seven or two seven um, in, uh, in Canada. Uh, it's really good practice to get into sort of incisal or cuspal translucency, you know, more chromatic gingival area. And then we've talked before, historically in dentistry, we were always told that, you know, matching a single central incisor to an existing restoration is one of the most challenging things to do in dentistry because you're relying on the laboratory and you're sending SLR photos or the patient for a shade match. Well, it works really well in the office because you can copy the adjacent tooth 
Uh, so the shape is going to be bang on. You can do a little bit of staining and glazing, fire it in the oven, try it, try it in the mouth if you need to further characterize that. You know, it's only another 10 or 15 minutes uh, to do that. So how easy is it? You know, it takes an afternoon to get accustomed to staining a crown, a little bit of practice. And our assistants are proficient enough that we're pretty comfortable with them doing one or two unit interiors. I wouldn't have them staining and glazing, you know, a 10 unit smile design case. I think that's a bit of a tall order. Uh, but, you know, is that sort of mimic what you're doing as well? Yeah, no, I agree. And I the only thing I'll add to that is that I think it's important um, to have good lighting when you're doing your staining and glazing. Um, loops help. Um, so if assistant wears magnifications or has like a magnification light that they can do the staining and glazing underneath, I think that's that's critical because most of the times the problems that occur with air bubbles or or overstaining in that is just that they're they weren't they're like oh I didn't notice that and um, having the light or some magnification makes a big difference. Yeah, and mimicking natural light as well. It's a very good point. Yeah. So next question we had, and we actually had this question before, uh, but they we did get this one posted to us, um, and we did answer this in one of our previous. Um, uh, webinars early on. I think it was on the single crown webinar uh, or a podcast. Sorry, so check that out. But it was: Is it worth upgrading from the Omnicam to the Prime Scan, and is it up worth upgrading the MCXL to the Prime Mill? Well, I think upgrading from the Omnicam to the Prime Scan obviously you've got to factor in things like economics, how often you're using them, you know, bank rates, lease rates, all sorts of things. But the short answer for me is yes. And the simple reason for that, and you and I have discussed uh, this at presentations that we've given before and certainly in the podcast, the Prime Scan is a total digital impression system. And when you have that piece of equipment and technology within your office, you now have the capability of eliminating all of your impression materials. So alginates, it's more effective from a timing perspective, an accuracy perspective, predictability perspective, and a cost perspective to scan your patients and actually print their models. So alginates can go out the, the door. And obviously those economics and that workflow works even better if you're doing uh, uh, Siltec putty or a PBS impression. So to me, that's a no-brainer. And uh, you and I both incorporate the Prime Scan into our new patient exam. The Omnicam is fantastic, but it is more limited in its capabilities and speed on full art scanning, just based on the piece of equipment that it is. Fantastic for uh, restorations, but not as fast and efficient as the Prime Scan. Now, in terms of the MCXL to the Prime Mill, the question really is do you need the added speed for zirconia restorations? And do you want future capability for titanium abutments, custom abutments? And if the answer to either of those is yes, then that would be the justification. But if the answer is no, you know, if you're comfortable doing 90 to 120 minute zirconia restorations and that works most effectively for your office and shortening that time frame would mean that you would have to change the way that you do recalls and the way that your second column is booked then the short answer is it's probably not worth it at this current time and keep in mind that it is titanium capable but they're not yet able to mill titanium that has not yet been released so i think the omnicam to the prime scan is easy uh, the MCXL to the Prime Mill. The MCXL is fantastic. The Prime Mill is obviously faster and will have some other capabilities. So what are your uh, thoughts on those? No, I'd, I'd agree on that. I think it's it's definitely, if you don't have a milling chamber, then that's a go-to. 
and that can be a good selling feature, you know, to go into Serac technology. But I think if you're still, if you've got an MCXL and you're and you're, it's a workhorse and you're, you've got it, I would just uh, continue with that until you need to upgrade or you need a second chamber for multi dentist office or you know you have an opportunity maybe in the future with the with the titanium uh, milling, which I think would be would be then add some efficiency. So yeah. I think that would be the good idea. Well, we're not yet uh, quite there with the titanium. Uh, abutments, but we do have a question actually on healing abutments. And so Mike, walk us through when you're using a cover screw versus a healing abutment when placing your implants. So um, yeah, quick answer to this one is realistically, if we're using a guide and we're doing a tissue punch, then it's always a healing abutment. If we're having to do any grafting, it's going to be a cover screw, okay? Now, if we're grafting and augmenting and trying to push the connective tissue mm -hmm. to the buckle, then it's going to be a healing abutment. Um, if we're doing a, something immediate that we need to engage and hold the papilla, then it's going to be immediate with either a custom healing abutment or a temporary tooth to do that. But, but generally, if we're doing anything to do with uh, grafting, trying to augment tissue, that, that it's perfectly fine to cover that implant, um, then we'll go with the cover screw. I just find that, you know, it in most cases, it's going to give you that better chance for, for stability and healing. Um, and you're less reliant on the, on the patient uh, following good directions. Um, but again, if you need to preserve or move tissue that you need the healing abutment, then go with that. Otherwise, that's, um, you know, uh, I would use the cover screw. You know, and the one thing about the cover screw, of course, is if you are doing a guided procedure, it's extremely easy to find that cover screw. Uh, you just, of course, use your surgical guide to reaccess that. So, yeah, pretty comparable with what uh, we're doing in our office. You know, the only thing that I'll, I'll add is on occasion, if we're a bit light on the attached uh, gingiva or we're working in the anterior segment, I'll often just do an omega flap and flap that and, and sort of pin that underneath the surgical guide. Um, and that seems to work pretty effectively for maintaining uh, attached gum tissue as well. So Mike, for our future podcasts, uh, we've discussed and had some requests about interviewing people. When are we going to be doing that? So coming up, uh, we're going to be trying to get some interviews now that the you know COVID's coming down and we're opening into different phases here. Except in Florida. Except in Florida, yeah. So one of the uh, people that we want to chat with is Dr. Amrish Kanna, who's with Dentox. Um, does a lot of um, very much about teamwork and team organization and team culture. Um, John Remmers from um, Dr. John Remmers, um, well-renowned uh, sleep doc, mm -hmm. uh, to talk about um, pathophysiology, talk about um, the Zephyr system, um, just a world of knowledge on sleep. Um, also, Shoresh uh, Sharkande. Uh, with Shark Education, who is a guru on sleep apnea, one of the premier guys in Canada. We're also going to have a chat with him about what's coming on the horizon for education. And then also uh, with Dan Splicerone, uh, uh, one of the guys we work with a lot, Anthony Denuzio, is going to come in and talk with us about some of the new things that are coming up with InLab um, and different things about uh, 3D printing dentures and those types of things. Yeah, we've got uh, hopefully some exciting information coming from some very learned individuals. So the other question people are asking about um, also is, are we going to be recording at other locations? 
you know, I'm going to be a bit hesitant to leave the fantastic uh, backdrop that we have behind us here. But, you know, obviously at some point it's summertime, so we'll change the venue to probably an outdoor setting. And then symposiums. Once conferences and seminars start to open up, which is still to be determined, Mike and I do have the uh, technology and the AV equipment to uh, be on site. So hopefully we'll be interviewing some more individuals who will provide some very useful information to uh, the podcast on uh, digital dentistry. Yeah, Uh, and I I think I would say too that if there's any of you out there that want to be interviewed um, or have something you want to add on the digital workflows, uh, anything you want to get get involved with us, please send us uh, your information, send us mm -hmm. an email. Um, You know, we're we're on Instagram at, at Digital Workflow Dentistry. Uh, feel free to reach out to us and, um, you know, subscribe to our podcast and then just, you know, we'll, we'll reach out to you and we'll get you on air here. And, um, that'd be great to get some other people out. Yeah. I think you and I are both extremely keen on getting back into a conference season and we've got an upcoming, uh, webinar on implants, which will, of course, uh, be, we'll be taping some procedures on it. Uh, but I'm, I'm really anxious at some point in the foreseeable future, hopefully, to get back to uh, interacting with uh, a classroom full of uh, keen dentists wanting to learn about digital dentistry. And obviously that was the plan for this podcast. But in the interim, yeah, absolutely. We're uh, excited to have some upcoming guests. And if you feel you have something to contribute, hit us up. Yeah, so we've got a couple questions left. So another one we had was, uh, this came out of our our webinar that we did uh, on sleep recently, was in general, what is the best way to get your team involved? Uh, because one of the key things that we hear often is I want to get more into sleep, but we just cannot fit it in our office. Our team's not motivated. It's just not happening. Um, can you give us some hacks on, on that? Yeah. Well, you know, the webinar that we gave last Wednesday speaks specifically to the points and questions that you just asked. So that webinar is going to be available within the next little while on our platform. Uh, and of course, it was hosted by uh, Dental Corp, the DC Institute, their educational platform. So at some point, it'll be available there as well. And it, it gives a good broad overview as to why we should incorporate sleep into the office, why it's important, uh, and why identifying sleep issues in our patient base is something that all uh, dental offices should start to take very seriously. So to me, Mike, that's the motivating factor for team members. Yeah, And so... As a dentist or as uh, a group practice, as dentists, team engagement is the key aspect. There's a few other things that we can do. Obviously, having uh, in-office sleep training can be very, very effective. You and I have both been through that in the past. We have a program where we're able to go into an office uh, and talk to the front end, the assistants, the hygienist, the dentist about an overall holistic role and how to bring up sleep how to identify it, treat it if need be. Uh, And that can be really effective because it generates a lot of momentum coming out of those uh, Friday or Saturday sessions. We do some role playing out of that as well, having those conversations. Uh, But one of the most effective methods that I found is really just ensuring that you're engaging your hygienists, having those conversations, providing them with the tools to bring those things up with their patients. Um, You know, obviously testing yourself and your Uh, team is fantastic. Their spouses as well. Uh, Very, very educational. And then of course, uh, you know, you're very, very well versed and you have your forms dialed in. Why don't you touch base on the roles of those? Well, I think it's, it's um, having everything in your sleep 
broken into into little pods, little segments that you can can discuss and and go through. Um, and so we are we are going to be putting together a, a training platform with with Shark Education about uh, team and and sleep apnea and how to get them involved. And the way we're going to do that is breaking it into sections that you can easily understand. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important when you implement it to your office is to break it into those either the appointments or break it into the roles. So you're going to have a consult. Um, you have a form for the consult. You have um, what you want filled out and entered in your chart. You have a checklist for the consult. And so then everybody has a way to follow that. And then what you do is role play and, and practice that. Now that becomes um, something that everybody, okay, I understand the consult appointment. Mm -hmm. Then you can move into, okay, records, okay? What's the checklist for records and what are we doing in records? Okay, here's what we're gonna do. So let's practice on one of our assistants and get them through the records. And then, okay, now we, we're, we're going on to insert what's our, our protocol and what are we supposed to record? When we're doing the sleep test, what are we supposed to put in? So there's different sections. And I think if you can break it into those sections, it becomes much more manageable than trying to understand the whole concept and the whole workflow from the get-go. Um, and then it just gets all muddled up. So that's what I would say is just try to break it down into those key components. And it's it's not a complex workflow as you and I both know. There's a base level of understanding that you need, but uh, it doesn't require the same level of dexterity as a lot of the more precise procedures we do in dentistry. It's just an understanding of medicine and our role within that. And then of course, how to deliver an appliance, et cetera. So it's a, it's a huge topic of conversation. Obviously you are an expert in that. Um, so yeah, we would uh, invite all of you to visit our website and look for more future training opportunities there. Uh, another area of expertise that you have, Mike, of course, with implants uh, and your usage of the profile implants, which you've been doing a lot more of. You've shown me a few cases, which are very, very exciting. So. Walk us through when you would use the profile implants over regular implants and maybe just briefly discuss what a profile implant is. So a profile implant is a sloped implant uh, that's from Astra Implants. And it gives a, a, a lot of benefits for the dentist in where they're gonna place the implant, size and length of implant, and, and in situations where you can get away with placing an implant without potential grafting and mm -hmm. augmentation. And uh, so I, I really think it's a great tool. Now, the slope of the implant is can go in either side. So the basically implant profile allows you to place that implant in any, any 360 degrees, wherever that deficiency is. So if it's a mesial distal deficiency that the bone is sloped, and if you, if you don't put a sloped implant, you're going to end up either having to bury the implant on one side or drill the the bone down to level it out, which may, you know, incur some uh, bone loss mm -hmm. uh, on the adjacent teeth or some gingiva recession. So you just have to look at the the pre-scan your CBCT and figure out, okay, where where do I am I deficient? If you have flat bone, everything's good. You have wide flat bone. We just go with a regular platform implant. But if we have a case where we have a sloped bone situation, and a lot of times this is happening. In, I find it in 4-6 area. Yeah, lower molars. Yeah. And it's all the time. I, I look, previously was always using flat implants. Now that I've been doing the profiles, each case comes up. We put it on there. I put the profile. I'm like, oh, profile. Oh, profile. And the benefit too is imagine that if you don't have to bury the implant as far, you can actually get a longer implant in and the longer implant can be placed 
um, above the nerve easier mm-hmm. um, because you're 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 not going to have to bury it to take into account the sloped bone until you get to thicker bone. So that's where you know, in a nutshell, I think it's a absolutely great tool to have and a and a great one to use in your planning. Um, so it's been one of my really fun things to work with. And uh, July twenty second uh, next month, Mike and I will be doing a webinar. Uh, on implants and of course we'll be discussing those profile implants in detail at that time Uh, that wraps up all the questions mike i think we've uh, answered uh, all of them that we've had thus far if you have any further ones uh, to our listeners please keep them coming and uh, we will be back next week with one of our guests where we'll be grilling them unceremoniously and unapologetically about uh, digital dentistry so mike good seeing you thanks so much for today Thanks, everybody, and make sure you subscribe below, and uh, any further questions, send them out to us. Everybody to be well, take care, and we'll see you guys at the next podcast. Thanks.